that we can safely protect. Curious About Cannabis is dedicated to providing reliable cannabis science education to anyone curious enough to learn. To get access to free courses and other educational resources, visit learn.cacpodcast.com and become a Curious About Cannabis member for free. The Curious About Cannabis book provides an incredible crash course in cannabis science through over 500 pages of content filled with photos, activities, science experiments, games, and more to help guide you through your personalized cannabis education journey. This book has become a trusted textbook in colleges and universities across North America and is absolutely perfect for serious learners as well as cannabis educators, bud tenders, clinicians, patients, and caregivers. And special thanks to the many individuals, companies, and organizations that have helped Curious About Cannabis meet our mission of becoming the number one trusted source of cannabis science education on the planet. This includes organizations like Credo Science with Ethan Russo, The Conigma, Treadwell Farms, The Spellman Report with Kevin Spellman, The Workshop, Green Earth Medicinals, CBD National, Magnolia Botanicals, and more. Visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn about our sponsors and go show them some love for helping us spread cannabis science education far and wide to anyone curious enough to learn. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises. and unyielding, grounding, yet transcendent. It's a curious thing. Let's explore it together. Isn't Life Curious? Available at isn'tlifecurious.com or wherever you experience podcasts. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. This is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Today, I'm really excited to finally be crossing paths and sitting down with somebody who were roughly the same age and have been experiencing the industry from kind of two very kind of different perspectives. And I'm very, very interested to see what conversation we get into today. I'm here with Trevor, a.k.a. Sungrown Mids is probably the uh, moniker you might know him by. Um, Trevor, thanks so much for carving out the time to connect today and staying on top of me to make sure this happened because um, I've been wanting to chat with you for a long time. So this is a great pleasure for me. Thanks, man. Yeah, I um, I really appreciate you letting me come on the show and everything you're doing with the uh, Curious About Cannabis uh, platform. It's great. It's good to see an educational platform that really combines the science with the new industry and provides all of us a lens into the to the world of advanced science that's going on. I, I really think that you're unique in that term, uh, in that context. Well, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. And, you know, one thing I really appreciate about the content that you've been sharing online, one thing is it's obvious you're a lifelong learner like myself. Like you're very, it's just your passion for learning and sharing knowledge just kind of oozes out of all of the content that you produce. Um, so that's something I really, really appreciate. And you tend to dive into a lot of things that I don't, like um, the history behind a lot of um, how cannabis has kind of gotten to where it is today. You know, I, I tend to get caught up in the biochemistry and ecology and all of that. And you always hit all of these things that I, I wish I had additional time to dive into. So um you know first of all if anyone's unfamiliar with you i just want to point out that you are definitely a lifelong learner and passionate educator on top of the breeding work and everything else that you do so thank you for the work that you do as well because i learned a ton from you cool thanks that means a lot um i have a lot of fun just doing research and it's um i kind of want to know where ideas and things come from and how they develop and yeah sort of change over time and so that's always been something that whenever I get interested in a topic I have to kind of dig to the roots and get down to the 
the origin and trace my way back to the to the present. Well, and that's super important because I think a lot of people have lost that skill or even maybe that interest of trying to understand where does an idea come from. Because um, having that context can really affect um, how you carry that idea and what you do with it. Um, you know, for instance, I saw recently on your social media, you've been trying to track down um, where some of the taxonomical research collided with politics and bureaucracy in the 70s because there, you know, there have been claims about the Indica, Sativa, uh, Ruderalis designations being formed as a... Um, and basically as a political move to try to help people that were in trouble, that were, you know, going to jail for cannabis. Um, we'll dive into your background and everything, but just because this is more immediately relevant, um, do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Like what, um, what brought about this search for this particular topic? And can you give our listeners a little background on what's going on there? Because I've really just glossed over it. Um, yeah, so really... Oh, oh, it's funny. Taxonomy to me is, um, it's a little bit of a hard science for me to get down with. Just obviously Latin's difficult for me to engage with. But um, politics for me is something that's very easy to understand. I have kind of an academic debate background. And so for that, getting into the taxonomic issue through the debates of uh Richard Schultz and Ernest Small in the 1970s and really digging into the politics of it. I'm far more conversant and uh, articulate on those issues than I am on the actual, um, you know, particulars of taxonomic debates just because taxonomy is a very particularly uh, the, the debate that they're engaging in and sort of a uh, the ICBN or the International Code of Botanical Nomenclature, that that whole system is really difficult for me to grasp. But the politics <laughs> yeah. is much more simple for me to grasp. And I think that it's kind of, there's been a little bit of a revisionist history in the last few years around the whole thing mm. because mm -hmm. it gets contextualized as if Richard Schultz and the polytypic the people who were arguing that there was cannabis indica, cannabis sativa, cannabis ruderalis, that they were motivated by politics and it was a ploy and it was just an attempt to get people out of jail. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like while that may certainly be true, we don't actually know what Richard Schulte's um, motivations mm -hmm. were. He never actually came out and said, yeah, it was just a a BS ploy to get kids out of jail. Um, one of his students certainly characterized it as that. Wade Davis was one of his students who characterized him as a libertarian, kind of motivated by his libertarian politics to try and help people get out of jail. Um, but he gets framed as Ernest, uh, or Ernest Small being somewhat of a more sober, objective, and reasonable um, taxonomist who came forward with the traditional mm -hmm. monotypic interpretation. And when I did my research, what I really found was that basically all of the research in the 70s is tainted by politics. And yeah, yeah. both sides, Richard Evan Schulte's and the people who kind of switched from a monotypic interpretation to a polytypic interpretation from 1970 to 1972. There's serious issues with their taxonomy and the work that they did. Um, that includes Schultes, that includes uh, Lauren Anderson a few years later who did some of the wood and leaf analysis. Yeah. And so those taxonomies, if you look at them, there's clearly some issues with their thoroughness with the way in which they differ from Lamarck's interpretation or other people. And I think Angus was on here and did a great yeah. job of talking about some of these more specific issues with you. Um, but then when you look at Ernest Small, Ernest Small in 2018, in an interview, admitted or acknowledged that he had to convince the Canadian government to allow him to reach research cannabis. And to do so, he very much emphasized that his research would 
further prohibition and drug control. Um, at the same time, uh, Ernest Small received support from the uh, uh, the UN International Drug Control Agency, mm. and they subsidized some of his work. And if you look at the title page of uh, a practical and natural taxonomy by um, of cannabis by um, Ernest Small and Arthur Cronquist. There's an asterisk at the title, and if you look at the first footnote, it indicates that the article was published with the the editor's acknowledged financial support for the publication of the article. Small talked about how he received financial support from the UN and how the UN was primarily interested in drug control aspects. So you can see very clearly that Ernest Small was a Canadian government researcher. He convinced the Canadian government to allow him to research cannabis because it would further prohibition. He received support from international drug control agencies and made a taxonomy that basically furthered prohibition. And so while I think his taxonomy is probably correct scientifically and that the monotypic yeah. interpretation is a preferable taxonomy to the polytypic um, taxonomy. I feel that they both are tainted by the politics of the 1970s, the passage of the yeah. Controlled Substance Act, and all of the cultural, political, and legal debates and conflicts that ensued from it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's really fascinating you know, for those listening that might be unfamiliar. The you know the sort of main difference here is that Small's approach to taxonomy was more focused on the chemistry of the plant and looking at THC and trying to characterize cannabis plants based on um, chemotypes, basically, um, or at least that's kind of how it started. And then it it. it um, there was this like kind of battle in the 70s between are we categorizing canvas plants by the chemistry or by these more or less um, sort of morphological and geographical um, characteristics that um, and, and it, both of them, like you're saying, were motivated from different um, sort of sociopolitical um, factors that were driving the research and how these researchers were able to get funding, why they were asking any questions that they were asking, and kind of how the research was to be used. And it, it's kind of just um, nice that decades later, a lot of other research, Hillig's research, you know, a lot of stuff McPartland's done and others that have tried to make sense of this, it's like, yeah, small, Small's approach is more right than um, how Schultes and Anderson were kind of starting to move. Um, but what we've been left with, you know, like 2020, um, Small and McPartland put out a, a paper looking at the taxonomy of land-race cannabis plants. And the model that they presented is a really nice uh, synthesis of kind of all of it, um, which is uh, interesting. Um, you know, that like, yeah, there are morphological characteristics, of course, you can lean on. And there are some correlations to chemistry and... Um, and, you know, we're kind of now getting to a point where the science is starting to pick out the pieces of both that work mm -hmm. and, and start to put them together. Um, but in the 70s, it was like this hard, like, head-to-head -head battle of does THC content matter or not, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and another thing about it is that it's like 50 years later, I, I fully agree that um, Small and McPartland's 2020 paper feels like the modest proposal that Schultes was really making. Because yeah. Schultes wasn't like, it was a very provisional taxonomy that he provided. And he made it clear. Mm -hmm. in, and if you just read the titles of all of the papers that he wrote, the first, the presentation in 1960 where he provides the monotypic interpretation, he's really just reviewing the literature. He's not making any personal claims right. about of any of his own research. He's just saying, here's the literature base that's out there. And I think it was called random queries or random questions on the botany of cannabis. You know, it wasn't like a mm -hmm. hard and fast taxonomy. His next paper was um, cannabis 
an example of taxonomic neglect. And essentially... Yeah, what, that's the most popular one. Yeah, and, and all they were... When you really get down to it, they make a case for arguing, hey, cannabis indica, cannabis sativa, cannabis ruderalis have all been validly published names, and here's our version of what we think fit into these validly published names that already exist. And really what needs to happen is more field work and more research into the subject. And then 50 years later, you get Ernest Small and McPartland producing what is essentially that. They go into mm -hmm. a very thorough review of all of the literature, particularly the Soviet literature, much more thorough than Small and Cronquist. And yep. then in addition to taking on all of this, like, you know, previous research and synthesizing it, they also do way, way, way more investigation into the different types and their geographic differences and come to what is essentially, I feel, it, like it fully agrees with um, Schulte's insofar as they they just put all of the instead of having it be species difference it's just at right. the subspecies level but those those categories still exist it's just about where you rank them in the hierarchy and different taxonomists can disagree and can have different approaches and they will and and they will yes yes and and it shouldn't matter to the majority of us like the right. vast majority of humans in the world have zero contact or reason for engaging with this. And that's also where I feel like the biggest problem was people taking the taxonomic literature and sort of the new vogue of the 1970s and what was coming out of the 1970s and then grabbing that and bringing it into an everyday context of cannabis culture yes. and like the counterculture that is. And... Uh, commerce and it getting adopted into the 1970s and 1980s in the early seed catalogs and people sort of, you know, transposing what was a very scientific, very arcane mm -hmm. understanding of difference and variation in this genus and debates over that and putting that into sort of a commercial context and then confusing yeah. the hell out of everybody when that's right um we should have by and large none of this stuff should matter to us and i think that the update like the research going forward by and large should be um the next paper should be cannabis an example of cultonomic neglect yes because yep. I'm glad you brought up that that word cultonomic, yeah. Yeah, because that's that's where all the action is. If we agree with yes. both Schultes and Small, who were you know they were in general agreement that cannabis is one of the longest cultivated, most diversified, moved around plant that we've gotten our sort of toolkit as a species as a human species, um, and as such, it's a cultivated plant. And while going out and doing the research about variants within wild naturalized populations is totally cool and totally useful for botanists, it's not very relevant for consumers and for cultivators of cannabis who are dealing with it within the context of cultivation. And there we should be, all the focus should be in the ICNCP and the International Code of uh, cultivated plants and figuring out and really doing the work of creating a cultivar list for cannabis because all of the confusion yes. and all of the disagreement <clears throat> on nomenclature and the sort of like the problems with identity in commerce is this what it claims to be is there's a toolkit and there's a system for Yep. addressing this and there's no need to reinvent the wheel create some new sort of system just for cannabis as if it is unique and isn't a plant like all other plants yeah yeah i know there's you know 
the uh, the kind of knee jerk reaction of the cannabis industry is like, oh, we need another organization. We need to form another group to like tackle this issue. And I'm glad you're you're bringing up several things I want to highlight. One for folks that are unaware. There are two concepts to keep in mind when we're talking about like what words to use to describe cannabis. When we're talking about wild plants, like I was a botanist at one point and I studied native plants around Oregon. And in that context, I use what's called a taxon when you're figuring out how to classify, categorize all of these plants and how to talk about them. But when you start getting into horticulture and you're talking about artificial selection of plants and um, you know, different types of breeding and everything, you're, you start to fall into a very different type of classification system. It falls outside of the natural taxon, or, you know, the word taxonomy, um, and it gets into what's called the coltan, which is more of a, a cultural um, agreed upon system for um, organizing and talking about plants based on characteristics that humans find interesting, basically. And um, it's a, they're very important distinctions because a lot of people get caught up arguing about cannabis taxonomy when really most of it, like you said, I'm so glad you said this, most of this shouldn't even apply to most people in the cannabis industry. And when we're talking about breeding and commercial cannabis, we're talking about the coltan, not the taxon. Mm -hmm. And you're one of the only other people I've heard that actually knows that concept um, and, and has talked about it. I've posted about it on social media and I've had other scientists say, what's a coltan? And I'm like, oh, oh boy, okay. Like this yeah. is something, if you're, if you're into uh, growing plants, like that is a concept you really need to be familiar with if you're, if you're interested in this you know, side of things at all. And you don't have to be, um, I find it interesting, but, um, so I wanted to, to touch on that. Just the fact that the Colton concept is very important for people to latch onto and, and recognize, you know, that we're bringing that in. And I totally agree. There should be another paper. It's like cannabis, the, um, you know, uh, victim of Coltonomic neglect. Oh, that's perfect. We ought to write that paper. That'd be great. I'm, I'm down. Um, yeah, we should do it. Um, and, you know, this all also touches on something that I think is an, a problem that plagues not just the cannabis industry, it's kind of a scientific literacy problem, but that people get caught up in these weird debates that don't matter. Another one that I've seen is like, is the green tissue, um, you know, the first bits of green tissue that you see on the flower, is that the calyx or the bract? And it's kind of like taxonomy, you know, it's like, well, depending on what botanist you talk to, they're going to conceptualize it slightly differently and they may call it slightly different things. But then people waste so much time and energy debating um, over those concepts and not really spending their energy talking about things that could actually bring value to the industry mm -hmm. and and help <laughs> push things along. I'm sure you've seen plenty of that. Totally, totally. And that's... um. That's where I feel the, uh, you know, I totally understand why nobody or a, a very small segment of society um, will dedicate themselves to engaging the history of like taxonomy. Um, it takes a special, a special type to get into that sort of uh, world because it feels similar in terms of like, wow, these guys are debating just incredibly arcane, meaningless subjects. But when you follow it through, it really, right. um, it's given me a much better appreciation of the plant and the ways in which we relate to the plant and how we can solve so many problems using these methods without mm -hmm. like, there's just a lack of understanding of the fact that these problems have already been solved and addressed by people who have engaged in literally hundreds of years of arguing and fighting over this at some of the most right. like intense levels. <laughs> Taxonomists are wild and um, yeah, like they're, they're very amusing when they engage in self-deprecation and like self-awareness of how silly they are in their debating. But um, yeah, I just, I feel that, Going through and reading the entire history of everything that I can get on the uh, ICNCP has been really illuminating. Mm -hmm. And some of the key figures there are people that are under-recognized in the cannabis world for their importance. Um, WT, I'm 
not sure if it's Stern or Stern, um, but W.T. Stern is a, a huge figure, not just yeah. the world of taxonomy and particularly the taxonomy of cultivated plants. And he wrote the book on botanical Latin, like the guy is way, way important. And he is also the person who published the lectotype for cannabis sativa from Linnaeus's uh, herbarium specimens. Nice. Sorry if there's uh, noise in the background, but um, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, so um, I've been surprised to and just grateful to find him and read his work because he's somebody who with he wrote the first draft of the ICNCP, the International Code of uh, Cult Nomenclature for Cultivated Plants. He it wrote an introduction to the first draft or to the first uh, actual published code. And in that uh, first introduction, he gives the entire history of cultivated plant nomenclature. And it's incredible for somebody with my kind of interest to be able to trace the ideas from a specific point, follow them through the intellectual debates that have happened, and go from really Alphonse de Candolle, or however you pronounce his name, I apologize, I'm not... Oh, I never know. I just read these names. Exactly. I never... It's always weird when you have to say them out loud. Exactly. <laughs> no, and I... Um, there's the cannabis uh, uh, scientist, Etienne uh, de Meyer. And for years, yeah, I thought yeah. he was a Spaniard and said it de, de Maher, you know, like pronounced yeah, it. Yeah, I've done the exact same thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 So knowing all, uh, being able to trace that history is very, very interesting. And then being able to see that W.T. Stern was also at the symposium where Richard Schultz presented the random queries mm. on cannabis botany. And there's a discussion between the two incredible discussion it's it, uh the internet archive has a copy of um bot uh chemistry and botany of cannabis was the symposium and um so you can go on the internet archive and pull it up and read through it and it's really cool because you've got uh Meshulam, schultes mm -hmm. and stern and there's another person who was really big in um ethnobotany at the time whose name escapes me but he's a big figure in sort of the counterculture um they were all there discussing cannabis botany and chemistry and talking about chemovars and it's the first time i've ever seen the use of the term chemovar in relation to cannabis is schultes mm. referring to chemotypes and chemovars and um that's all the way back. Technically, in 1969 is when the symposium happened. It was published, uh, the book, in 1970. But, um, yeah, like those kinds of historic moments are, are really interesting to see this bridging from the ICNCP and the, uh, you know, traditional bot botanical world in Stern mm -hmm. with Meshulam and with Schultes all in one place is, I don't know. It gives you some appreciation, too, for all of this history that, you know, we tend to read all these papers and things, and it feels all distinct and separate. <clears throat> and to have that appreciation for how interconnected, you know, all of these different people were and that they did bump into each other and, and talk to each other and ask questions and everything, um, it, it, it really gives you an appreciation for just the complexity, for you know, the level of complexity and how all of these things, all this history, you know, played out. Um, and I think this is a good point to try to bring some of this around for other people that are growers and breeders. What is, what are your thoughts in terms of what breeders and growers should be paying attention to in all of, in all of this stuff in terms of, um, uh, terms, the nomenclature, you know, we haven't explicitly talked about it, we're, but we're basically talking about should we be calling these plants strains or cultivars, cultigens, and the ICNCP, for those that don't know, it's on its, I think, ninth edition now, mm -hmm. maybe going on its tenth edition now, um, and it provides kind of the, kind of the state of the global industry of, you know, how we're going to talk about things in plants of trade, 
Um, and one thing that the ICNCP is pretty clear about is that the word strain is a very, con they literally say it's a confused term. <laughs> um, and so they don't recommend that term being used in a formal context when we're talking about trade, international trade and everything. Um, so there are debates about, should we say cultivar? Should we say cultigen? Um, where does chemovar fit into everything? And so just from your perspective, being a breeder and diving into all of this history and the science and everything, um, what are your thoughts and, and just speaking directly to other breeders and cultivators, um, how can they sort of see through all of the kind of smoke screens and stuff that are around a lot of these concepts to really hone in on what matters? Um, I think that what we really need to do is understand what a cultivar is and yeah. recognize that if it's a named plant that exists in cultivation, it's a cultivar. Now, there are there is a requirement in the last two editions of the ICNCP right. that requires, essentially they added a note and in that note, it requires that you have to have a published description and you have to have a name and a category. So there are a lot of published descriptions and names that exist that are out there in the world. They're in, right. most of these exist in the ephemeral literature and it has to be a hard copy. That's one of the other yeah. requirements. It can't be an electronic uh, copy unless it's, you know, submitted into certain libraries, which none mm -hmm. of them are. So, like, none of the electronic databases are sufficient right now. Right. There are seed catalogs. There are nursery catalogs. There are books. And all of these have names and descriptions that are published one thing that they rarely have is the correct category assigned to them. That's mm -hmm. literally the only thing that if somebody wanted to be super technical and super rules oriented could point to and say, well, you know, this description of Northern Lights says strain repeatedly in the description in the seed bank catalogs. It doesn't say cultivar anywhere in it. So technically the category hasn't been published. The name and the description yeah. have, but the category hasn't. Now, I'm not sure. I'm no registrar. I don't know how they would address or deal with that. I don't know how they've dealt sure. with that yeah. in other plants. Um, but I know that looking at a lot of the descriptions that I see in nursery catalogs, that I see in um, seed old seed catalogs, fit the requirements for the descriptive and publication requirements under the code. Um, people should start saying cultivar <laughs> when they publish those things. Because <laughs> if you just publish the correct category, you have a name and a description that describes the type, then everything, even if in cultivars can be clones, they can be seeds, they can be a whole bunch of different specific types of plants, it doesn't really, it's, the code is very clear that how things are made doesn't really matter. It's whether or not the type is consistently reproduced. Right. And so there's examples that are given in the code that say there's this certain type of plant that produces a yellow flower. And the seeds from that population, or when you grow out the seeds, not everything produces the yellow flower. The ones that don't produce yeah. the yellow flower aren't the cultivar. The ones that do produce the yellow right. flower yes. are the cultivar. And even though it's a, you know, it's a mixed population, essentially, or it's not phenotypically stable. So there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of confusion. And unfortunately, a lot of it's coming from academics. Um, I will say yeah. Ernest Small is particularly... Uh, problematic in this regard because essentially everybody refers back to Ernest Small's 2015 paper or the other versions of it that have been published where he essentially writes the exact same things um, in 16, 17, 18, and 20, uh, 2020. Um, so Ernest Small basically treats drug cannabis cultivars that haven't been registered with uh, mm -hmm. statutory yeah. registries as out of the 
like doesn't matter. They don't count. He even in a um, on a Canadian. Uh, Basically, he wrote the description of cannabis in a government website, and it's a very long, very um, detailed document. But he goes on and he lists off, he's like, look, a bunch of people have published and described names and lists a bunch of books. Um, Michael Backus's book, uh, S.D. Owner, Stoner, um, is somebody right. who yeah. wrote a book and like it's like Cannabis Indica, Cannabis Sativa, and different cultivars or strains um and there are some others there's uh he lists a number of books but i've read the books and some of them like the bacchus book those that qualifies as a published description of a cultivar name mm -hmm. so i feel like what needs to happen is something more akin to what uh Wims, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Wims Nardinger, I think his name is. It's S-N-E-I-O-J-E-R. Um, but he's a, a Dutch botanist and a registration authority who is the registrar for chrysanthemums, I believe. And mm -hmm. he did a preliminary checklist of cannabis cultivars to because the place that he worked at was essentially applying to become the registrar for Cannabase um, oh, cool. plants. Okay. And um, so in there, in the uh, checklist that he does, and Small criticizes him repeatedly, he always kind of refers to Snowdenger uh, treating strain names as cultivar names as if they're interchangeable. And he mm. went through and just looked at you know, seed catalogs and um, publish those in a uh, preliminary checklist. And he goes through and he's like, this is very preliminary. This is just like other people need to go through this. Um, but here's the first go at it. And he comes up with 700 names. And another interesting uh, historical connection, part of how, who he was, like, why he got into it was, one, the institution that he was working at was looking to apply for, um, to become the registrar for Cannabase plants, but uh, Arno Hesekamp was a PhD student that he was working with, and so there was, like, a connection because of Hesekamp's um, uh, research into cannabis is why they were looking yeah. into cannabis cultivars as well and the nomenclature. Wow, okay. So that was, it was really cool to see that in the introduction that like, okay, this is some of Hayes Camp's, and I'm probably again butchering a name. Um, this is some of his background in like the historical connections. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I yeah. feel like uh, cannabis growers need to, and collectively, like scientists, academics, um, somebody needs to publish a paper about the cultonomic neglect of cannabis. They need to create a provisional checklist reviewing all the ephemeral literature that they can get their hands on and trying to tease out and resolve some of these issues that exist in the nomenclature in the academic world. And then for us as growers mm -hmm. and breeders, we need to start publishing names, descriptions that conform to the ICNCP rules and that, and there's a bunch of them, like if you get into the real details, there's a whole uh, article and section on what is a permissible name, but we should be yeah. using permissible names and we should be using the term cultivar when we publish written descriptions of our work because then we will have a name, yeah. a description <laughs> and a category. And the big thing is making sure to describe in as much detail as possible what those defining characteristics are. Um, Cause that's, that's totally. really the main thing that um, a lot of these registrars just want to see is how distinctive can it be so that when it pops up, we can recognize it. Um, and like you were saying, I think folks don't think about cultivars in this kind of context that they can be ephemeral, that they, they come in and out of existence. Mm -hmm. Like, a cultivar is a collection of traits that you see in the population and it can be defined by all sorts of things. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you can get creative sort of in, in sort of what traits you're trying to define and label. 
Um, but once those traits have been defined and labeled and recognized, like you were saying, um, you know, uh, with the example of the yellow flower, like that cultivar, it can it can exist for a while and then not and possibly under unique circumstances come back into existence um, because it's not necessarily tied to um, genetics. And, and this is something I think gets confused too, that um, when we talk about cultivars, there's like a slight distinction between the sort of genetic lineage that it takes to get to a plant and what those defining reproducible characteristics are that we're tying a cultivar name to. There, it's the, you know, they're slightly different mm -hmm. concepts. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that trips people up a little bit because they think like, no, I'm getting my genetics registered as a cultivar. Um, I want to protect my genetics. You know, that's kind of the way people generally think about it. And so I think that's one, one way that that sort of ephemerality of these cultivars gets kind of lost. And then people kind of um, make the issue more complicated than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like people don't get that they're um, they're essentially they're categories that exist, like you're saying. Where if it so anything that conforms to the traits is the cultivar. So just yeah. because you have something that is genetically distinct and not even from the same lineage, not related in any way it can end up being the same cultivar. And this is why the cultivars need to be, like you're saying, very well described in their specific traits and differentiated and delineated from other cultivars. So that's, there's kind of two ways when they, um, uh, in the ICNCP, they make it clear, like you need to make a description and also, if possible, a di differentiation so that you can differentiate yeah. cultivars between each other. And so that's something that I definitely think the more people spend time on, like in the future going forward, describing their cultivars in detail, describing the specific suite of traits, all of the traits that they're selecting for and that constitute the thing, and publish those names, that'll make it much easier and historically looking back a lot of the descriptions were terrible but they <laughs> yeah yeah they were there yeah. and they're like it, it was a start exactly and so i feel like we need to do the historical work and this is more on academics or like people like myself who are interested in the past um to kind of go back and the code is very clear about this the principles and purpose of the code laid out in the preamble is to put order to names of the past and create yeah. a framework for moving forward. And that's, you know, none of the problems that we face in cannabis are unique. Tulips, right. orchids, like, yeah, yeah. you know, especially. Yeah, they've all had just intense, um, or I think the, the names for daisies, the first time it was published back in, like, I think, 19... 1908 um it was like a 30 page booklet it, there were a lot of different cultivars it's like a 2000 page book now that's got over 20,000 cultivars so like the yeah, vastness yeah. of the names is not an excuse or reason to just jettison the past we need to yeah we need to go through what we can go through create order to what happened in the past and then just move forward in a way that uses the correct terminology and you know just because we don't have a registrar and just because cannabis is illegal doesn't mean it's not <laughs> governed by the code the code doesn't say anything yeah, about yeah. that and this is something that's driven me crazy and I, I meant to comment on this earlier that you know um, small's approach was kind of this way of like well since it's all been illegal and everything, it kind of falls outside of the system in a way. And it all, you know, it's sort of confused. And it's like, well, no, these are plants that have been selected by people. It all, it, it it's all still applicable, no matter like what the legal status of something is. And it's, it reminds me of the situation we've run into on the, the um, um, dietary supplement and pharmaceutical side and everything that, you know, because cannabis wasn't included in DSHEA, the Dietary Supplements Health Education Act in the 90s, 
um, which is what basically took all traditional medicinal plants and made them generally recognized as safe. Um, because cannabis was illegal, it was not included in that. And so thus now we're in this weird situation where no one knows what to do with cannabis in food or supplements or anything uh, on the federal level, on the FDA level, because it wasn't included in Deshay and is having to be treated as this totally novel thing, even though it's not novel and has been, you know, a part of our commerce for so long. It, it's a very similar type of um, silly problem that like shouldn't yeah, be a yeah. problem at all. And I, I wanted to highlight too, in case anyone gets confused, the ICNCP tells us how we should talk about these plants. It gives us a framework for being able to be on the same page as we talk about these, you know, um, different plants. But the ICNCP does not register and protect your plants. And I think that's something a lot of people get confused too. Um, and there's actually several different registrars that do that. UPOV is one of the biggest ones. Um, but I just wanted to talk about that a little bit and highlight that um, all this stuff we're talking about with the ICNCP, um, this does not relate to someone going out and getting legal protection over their their plants. That's a different ordeal altogether. Yeah, yeah, and they, it's been a long-standing issue for the ICNCP and how they address and deal with these different things. Um, they're clearly the authors of the code are very frustrated with UPOB and the fact that they didn't use cultivar. That's very clear. <laughs> um, yeah, it creates some headaches. Yeah. yeah. Um, but essentially what they've done is recognize all the legislative statutory authorities, I believe is what they call them. So that's UPOV, where different mm -hmm. governments have come together and agreed to different standards. Uh, the United States... Uh, Patent and Trademark Office, and they've, you know, trademarks are a whole different set of issues because trademarks yeah. are, you know, a sole right to use of a name, and so they don't, they don't govern that, and they don't have, they mention it and say like, if you've got a trademark, that falls outside of our world, but um, yep. yeah, and that's where I feel like there's just a general public good here through cultivar registration lists because a lot of what exists in the public domain or has existed historically in terms of the clone-only cultivars that we have in existence and that have been a source of enormous confusion within the cannabis community, which, you know, establishing identity, differentiating what clone is what. And if we could go and identify and characterize and establish names like Sour Diesel, like OG Kush, like all these other names that we all know and have become accustomed to and are plants that exist in cultivation and have many different types, we can essentially put all of them in the category and be like, here is the Sour Diesel category, here is mm -hmm. all of these historic categories and we can build out this data set in such a way so that people don't have confusion or misunderstandings in their understanding and their ability to identify and differentiate these yeah. plants. And that doesn't mean somebody now owns them. That doesn't mean that there's some sort of like intellectual property right. There's instead a common understanding about the identity of these different things that we've determined are yeah. unique and valuable and that we've kept around and i think that that's something that um is could put a lot of order to the chaos that exists yeah. in you know we could stop it, this is a fight that we need to you know we talked about uh, uh unnecessary debates we don't need to be debating yeah. this we just need to come together and work on applying these already existing standards and procedures to what we've got and what we do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just like the work just needs to be done. Um, and it's it's a big project. Um, it's something that starts to tap into, you know, it's like... Um, how do you get the resources and everything to make this happen? It, it'll take time. I, you know, I like that you pointed out that it's 
it's almost best suited as an academic effort because the resources are there um, for people to be able to take the time and energy to dive into, you know, like you're saying, all of these historical publications, ephemeral publications, some of which, like, there may only be a couple copies of some of these things floating around. I mean, um, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s, um, a lot of this sort of underground information, I was involved not just in the cannabis space, but I've always been into IT, so I was also kind of in the hacker space in the 90s and stuff too. And you always had these like randomly printed books, you know, that just yeah. get circulated among the community. And you don't even know if they exist anymore. They only got printed in those meetings, those couple mm -hmm. of times mm -hmm. or whatever and, and circulated. So there's, I think a lot of people that are kind of newer to the industry underappreciate a lot of that literature that's out there. Um, that there there is a lot of underground uh, publications that need to be archived. Like we need to make sure these things have been collected up, that we digitize them, make sure they hang around um, because they are these interesting nuggets of information um, about what was happening at the time and, and how people were thinking about um, these concepts and um, the different types of plants that were floating around that a lot of people don't even remember anymore. And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there is a lot of work to be done, um, for sure, but it's, it's a project worth doing because if we can find a way to just get on the same page so that we can just use the same language to describe things and use a language that is a nomenclature that is consistent, um, that provides a foundation that we can then build incredible things on top of that we can run with and use rather than sort of, you know, um, you know, it feels like right now we're all sort of wading through the muck in a way, like everything is just way harder than it needs to be. And, um, and there's just all of this work that needs to be done. And, um, I think there are one reason why I was excited to talk to you today is because, um, I think a lot of newer folks coming into the space, including scientists, people I work with all the time, that don't have the perspective to understand what questions should be asked or like what the industry needs. Um, and that only comes from experience from decades prior and understanding how things have progressed and being connected to older generations that were also doing this way further back and can help you understand how things have progressed and gotten to this point. Um, and so there's, there's a critical need for those of us that have experienced the cannabis culture before it was legal and before all of this stuff. It's really important to get those minds talking and sharing um, because all of the new folks coming in to do research and piece all this stuff together, they, it's just impossible for them to have the perspective. It's like no fault on them. Mm -hmm. They just, they, they, they just don't have it. They just can't have it. And there's, there's perspectives I can't have because of my limitations. You know, I didn't start growing up until the nineties. So there's obviously mm -hmm. plenty more in the past that I struggled to really wrap my head around. Um, and so we need all those stakeholders um, to try to get this knowledge, these publications, these descriptions, all of this stuff recorded so that we can start to do something meaningful with it to pave some path for the future and get out of this infighting and chaos we're kind of stuck in, just a lot of people butting heads, and uh, it's not helpful. Mm -hmm. Totally, yeah. And, I mean, man, there's so much of it for me as kind of a history buff, Um and somebody who cares about culture, uh, I feel like there's kind of two camps. There's one camp that wants to embrace the past, recognize the past, mm -hmm. and move forward with a knowledge of the past. And then there's kind of just the brave new world approach of we can, yeah, yeah. all of that is besides the point. And, you know, we're scientifically more advanced, we're intellectually more advanced, we don't need to worry about what happened in the past. And um, I just, I feel that as somebody who has gone through the different, the ebb and flow of cannabis, you know, there have been times when there's been lots of variation, lots of abundance and lots of new things. Mm -hmm. And then there's been really stale moments and yeah. they haven't ever stayed that way. They've always kind of got, right. come and gone. And 
I just think that we need to recognize that and continue to embrace that because in terms of, you know, the possibility for even if we get into sort of a monotonous monotone world in sort of commercial cannabis, um, that's not everything and it's not going to be everything and it's not going to be forever. And we need to embrace the possibility and be open to sort of a, a, the variety and difference. Like I really appreciate, um, a lot of the different scientists, even if I disagree with them and argue with them and get blocked by them on Instagram. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that we get to have the debates, but I think that we need to yes, move past yeah. just debating with each other and actually move forward in a way that synthesizes some of this stuff. The same way that Small and yeah, McPartland yeah. were able to kind of synthesize stuff from 50 years ago, we need a better synthesis um, now instead of a just a, a butting of heads. And... Um, yeah, I think this this podcast is great, um, and this platform because it gets a lot. You know, I got to hear Arno has a camp and talk about his right, ideas. Yeah. Um, I've got to hear Anna Schwabi and Angus, and even though I've debated or disagree with these people, um, they're providing valuable information into the community, and you're providing a platform for us to to access it. So that's cool, and um, yeah, I just I hope that we can. Instead of reinventing the wheel, we can just use the tools in our toolkit that have been used for everything else and, you know, put yeah. some sensibility and some some order to the chaos of the past and just move forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm glad you, you know, brought up this point of it. You know, it's important to disagree and to communicate and explore ideas and everything and something I um, even in the master class that I teach something I like to do is bring in scientists that don't agree with everything that I say Um, because I think it's very important for people to have that modeled of like hey we can have different perspectives on these concepts it's important that we can discuss them try to understand um where this is all you know coming from but then like you said too there is a certain point where you know we can't just go round and round either but we do have to figure out how do we move forward and in a constructive um productive way and you know my role in some of that is hopefully helping people to just think about what questions to ask that's really what curious about cannabis is kind of about is trying to give people enough to think about you know what are the better questions to be asking and um hopefully in exploring those questions you discover more questions because there's no end to the questions um so I, I i appreciate that i i hope that that's been effective so far and i wanted to check in with you how are you on time because um, i know we've been going for an hour um i my phone is in about to die um so Okay, good to know. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we will we will anticipate a more. part 2 yeah, then. Yeah, totally. Too. Yeah. Totally cuz I um yeah, if I weren't here on uh we're on vacation right now. So um I'd be <laughs> a little bit better set up, but um yeah, no, dude, this has been great and I want to talk more just generally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's so cuz there's so much I want to go into about our perspectives on just the evolution of the cannabis industry. <laughs> I mean, there's so much I want to dive into that, um, as well as we haven't even really told the audience about your own background. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, we'll just leave that with a mystery folks can um, dive into, but yeah, we're definitely going to do a part two. So, um, let's try to make that happen in the next month or so, and we'll keep this conversation going. There's definitely plenty to dive into here. And uh, this hour just melted away yeah. super fast. Yeah, um, uh, yeah it's totally crazy. So yeah, yeah. Um, so, I made a PowerPoint um, just because it helps me like put tons of ideas in my head. And yeah, um, yeah. I'm kind of more of a research person than I am a. I don't know. I, my debate thing just makes it so I dump information into documents. Um, I feel you. Yeah, I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to share it with you. Um, but we touched on like a lot of what was in there. I just didn't have the ability to go into it, but there are certain things, 
and I'm going to keep building it out. So I'm going to share it with you as like a, a live, whatever nice. Google sheets Living or document. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I'm, I'm trying to put in like all of the different information that I'm like, I don't say anything typically. I prefer as a debater and as like an academic, I was mm-hmm. told and taught like a well-written paper is a thin path through a forest of footnotes. And that's right. That's right. So for me, I try to just kind of, I'm not an expert. I don't know anything beyond what I've read in like the taxonomic world. And so all of that stuff's going to be in there. And um, some really cool uh, herbarium stuff. For instance, you nice. and Angus talked about the McPartland or the the question of whether or not Small had any Afghan samples. Right, right. So he did. However, nice. He never included them in any of his research, in any of his papers. So none of his published works have so that's them why as that... samples that were included. But gotcha. there's, okay. there's essentially three herbarium pressings that are from the uh, Rothberg was one of the defendants. Mm-hmm. Rothberg 72, 1972 was a case that was the first time Schultes and Small went against each other. And he got, Small got seeds from the confiscation in that case and grew those out and made pressings of those, and he grew them out in the winter of 1973, but like I said, never included them in any of his formal taxonomies or whatever. That is that is fascinating. So that's that's why there's that impression of like, has he ever looked at these or not? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have plenty to talk about. And I didn't know you were on vacation. So thank you for taking the time to of course. talk to me during your vacation. I hope that this added to your vacation and was pleasurable. Totally, totally. Um, no, this was great. I, I'm excited. And uh, no, my family's all, they, they're used to me um, kind of holding <laughs> up and doing podcast or doing whatever so yeah excellent well yeah well let's um absolutely yeah thanks for taking the time you know it's a shame that it's taken us this long to actually connect but i look forward to setting up another podcast we'll do part two and i'm interested in working with you on the education side too i think there's a lot of cool stuff we could do to try to you know just have the effects we're talking about to try to drive some good projects and and get people talking about you know, have better conversations and focus on things that are a little more impactful and meaningful. Um, my head's kind of spinning with some ideas, so we'll be in touch. Cool. I am all ears, all down. I'm really excited and serious. I would love to do a figuring out this cultonomy situation with cannabis yeah. and just like really, you know, I'll get all the documents I can get and every every historical piece of information I can get we'll have it all together and then chug through it as a group as opposed to just me kind of guessing because you know all i know is what i read and if there's something i haven't read then i don't know and so it's right exactly you don't know what you don't know i'm only able to access exactly yeah and there's like in this world there's so much literature out there and it's kind of hard to get a hold of um yeah that yeah it helps to have other people who know a bit more and who have experience with dealing with botany and taxonomy and the rigor of all of this and how the the sciences or the the authorities deal with these things because i'm just like well according to Lagenau, 58 blah 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 like you know that's all i know (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah and the real world can be really uh can be really loose. You know, I, my first job as a botanist was making botanical vouchers for, um, the Smithsonian and Oregon state and a couple other places. And, um, yeah, it's, it's funny when you start, when you get into the real world, it's like all of these rules exist, but then the way that they're, um, applied can vary quite a bit depending on context and everything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, and I've got ideas of how to leverage curious about cannabis to try to do, projects and this this really gives me some ideas um of ways to present to the community like here's some projects we'd like to do uh like for instance you know this idea of like can we wrestle this cultonomic stuff like okay 
let's figure out a project, put some leads on that project, and then let the community know, hey, if you want to support this project being done, find ways to funnel some resources into that. And if we need volunteers or whatever, um, try to make stuff like that happen. That's kind of one of the next stages of evolution for the platform I'd like to see. It's like, how do we get resources to make interesting projects happen? Um, so yeah, we'll be figuring this out. Um, but anyway, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. This is a great episode. Um, we'll be getting back in touch um, with Trevor for part two really soon. And with that, everybody, stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem. And let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server. And you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds, and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.